Good morning. Good morning to Long Crenden Baptist Church. Um, I'm Colin White, the assistant pastor here. Uh, we're going to be starting uh, a new series today uh, on Exodus, continuing in the theme of holiness, which is the theme for the year for our church. We're beginning uh, to preach from Exodus, of which Neil will be preaching this morning. Now, as we meet together, we're here to worship God. And we're going to do that as we look at God's word in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. And it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your glorious grace that you have lavished upon us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we come before you this morning as those who are by nature sinners, and yet we have been redeemed by you. Out of your love, you sought to redeem us by sending your Son to purchase us from all manner of sin and shame, that we might be holy, blameless, and pure in your sight. We thank you, Lord, that you did this out of love, love for us, love for those in which you would choose to redeem. And so, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us displayed in our Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to worship this morning with minds that are fixed on you, fixed on what you have to speak to us this morning through your word. We pray that you would help us, Lord, by your spirit to be attentive and to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, 
because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet's blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people, and told them. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Father God, we praise you that you are a God who speaks and that you speak to us today through your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. And we pray this morning that you would speak to us. We pray you'd enable us to hear. And we pray you'd enable us to respond in obedience to all that you call us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't claim to have my finger on the pulse when it comes to uh, the current music scene. But uh, some of you may have come across the the artist uh, uh, Miley Cyrus. A few months ago, she released a single called Midnight Blue, just after breaking up with uh, her partner at the time. And it contained these lyrics. I was born to run. I don't belong to anyone. I don't need to be loved by you. I think deep down everybody (coughs) wants to be loved and treasured and treated as special. 
But so often they find themselves in a relationship where uh, one party, and not always the man, is domineering and controlling, whether that's physically or emotionally. And they just want to break free. Miley Cyrus sings, A lot of years went by with my hands tied up in your ropes forever and ever, no more. What people are yearning for is a loving relationship in which someone's willing to love them sacrificially and do everything to help them flourish. The sort of relationship that it is possible to enjoy with God. Because God is not uh, some sort of impersonal force that some people think of him as, but he is a divine person with whom it's impossible to enjoy a loving relationship. This year we're focusing on the theme of holiness and over the next weeks we'll be studying the book of Exodus in which we'll see the special relationship between God and his people being established. Because holiness is not just about trying to live a good life. It's about enjoying a relationship with a holy God. Many of you will be familiar with the early part of the book of Exodus in which God uses Moses and Aaron to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. We're starting our series at the high point in the book, quite literally, as Moses climbs the mountain of the Lord. And it's here that God makes clear just how special his people are to him, how much he, he treasures them. When God first appeared to Moses back in chapter 3, it was on Mount Sinai that he called Moses to rescue his people. He said then, he said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That would have seemed such a, a long time ago. A lot has happened since that promise was made. But now, after all the experiences they've gone through, the whole nation of Israel is approaching the mountain where they're about to meet with God. The journey's taken three months, but now they will remain here for the next year. And the events here will take the writer 59 chapters of the Bible to describe, stretching to the end of the book of Exodus through Leviticus and into Numbers. And in this chapter alone, Moses will climb Mount Sinai three times as he listens to God and brings God's message back to the people. For the people to meet God is no straightforward thing when he is such a holy God. And there's vivid imagery in this chapter of God's holiness in the the thunder and lightning, the trumpet blast, in the smoke and the fire. Serious warnings are given about the need for the people to be consecrated and not go near the mountain. Not only did the people tremble, the whole mountain, we're told, trembled. This is a holy God. And yet, as we've said, this is also a personal God. And the main theme of Exodus is God's covenant relationship with his people. And it's in this chapter that we find the verses that in many ways summarize the whole book. Let me read those verses again from verse 3 to 6. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, 
and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Because here God describes his people as my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Imagine how that must have made them feel. That the God who made the world to whom the the whole earth belongs has chosen them out of the nations. We'll come on to what that means shortly, but we're going to look at this passage and these particular verses. We're going to focus on them under three main headings. What God has done for his people, what God promises his people will become, and what God requires of his people. And we'll consider the implications of what that means for us today. So let's start with that first and what God has done for his people. Basically, he's rescued them. Verse 4 says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You yourselves have seen. The Israelites don't need convincing. They've been rescued. They, they saw with their own eyes what happened in Egypt as God cast down one plague after another. But clear in their memories would still have been the picture of the Egyptian armies the most powerful army in the world of that time, with all their chariots thundering down upon them. They were terrified. But like the powerful protective wings of an eagle, God took them out of that danger and brought them to safety. It's nothing to do with the the Israelites' strength or, or skill, but as God said, I brought you to myself. J.R. Tolkien used that same message, uh, that same image in the, the Lord of the Rings, giant eagles providing a miraculous escape for the heroes of the story just when they needed it. The point here is that God used his power to rescue his people from a terrible existence of slavery in Egypt because he loved them. And in rescuing them, he brought them to himself. The people cried out, And without setting any conditions to their release, he simply had mercy on them. And he used his sovereign power to rescue them. God's rescue of Israel from physical slavery in Egypt in such dramatic and vivid form is meant to foreshadow our rescue from slavery to sin through Jesus Christ. Both were acts of mercy by a loving God. Why did he do that? But because he had made a covenant with his people, and it was remembering that covenant that led God to rescuing the Israelites. Have a look back at chapter 2, if you've got a Bible there handy. Chapter 2, verse 23, says this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what Exodus is about is God keeping a covenant that he had already made. This is not a a new covenant that he's making here. 
but the deepening of an existing covenant that God had made with Israel's ancestors long ago. What was that that covenant that God made with with Abraham? Let's go back to Genesis to remind ourselves. He promised him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. An essential part of that covenant in which God promises to to bless his people is that through them, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And we'll come back to that. But going back to Exodus chapter 19, if verse 4 tells us what God has done, then verse 5 tells us what God promises his people will become. They will be special. The first thing he promises is that out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. The reason that God mentions that all the earth is his is to make it clear that for Israel to be his treasured possession means that his love for them is greater than the general love that he has for all that he's created. He will be their God. And they will be his people in a, in a special way. They will have blessings beyond those of other nations. As we were saying before, there's a bit of a, a reluctance these days for people to feel that they are anyone's possession. That anybody should have a hold over them. To belong to someone means to, to sacrifice what you want for the sake of the other. But people are don't want to do that. They feel that um, they will lose something when in fact actually they will gain much more. And that is certainly the case if we belong to God. Because to be his treasured possession is to enjoy all the many blessings he wants to pour out on us. Yes, we are called as Jesus' disciples to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. But that is because he has already denied himself and taken up his cross for us. Also, the fact that God made us in the first place means that we, we do belong to him because we owe our whole existence to him. That is why sin is so serious, because it is rejecting the one who made us in the first place. God makes the Israelites his treasured possession. And the amazing thing is that they, they didn't do anything to deserve it. Let's turn to a few books later on in the Bible, to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and this is what it says there it says for you are a people holy to the Lord your God the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession and it carries on in the next verse the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Israelites were God's treasured possession. And in the New Testament, Christians are described as precious to God, as chosen by him. Again, not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus did for us. God promises that Israel be a, will be a treasured possession. He also promises that they will be a kingdom of priests. 
great privilege of being a priest was the, the intimate access to God that they enjoyed. They drew near to God and they interceded on behalf of the people. Later on, when the, the Israelites entered the promised land, the priests didn't inherit any land because they had already in, had their inheritance. They had God himself. This privilege of access to, to God is also promised to the whole nation and emphasized when he calls them a kingdom of priests, a royal priests, priesthood, priests in the service of the king. There is no greater privilege than to have intimate access to the king of the universe. But as we mentioned earlier, this access to God is not straightforward. The people can't simply come as they are. They are separated from a holy God by their sinfulness. God tells Moses to, to make sure they are consecrated, made holy. They are to wash themselves, abstain from sexual relations, and, and not to force their way through to see God. The amazing thing about the new covenant is that Jesus Christ has dealt with a sin that separates us from God. We've received the, the righteousness of Christ and therefore we can approach the throne of grace with great confidence. Exodus 3 says, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Well, that doesn't mean as though we should be, be casual in the way we approach God. He's still a holy God. Which brings us to the last point. God promises that Israel will become a holy nation. We can understand this description of Israel as, a, as holy in, in two ways. She will be set apart. She will be distinguished from the, all the other peoples because of the special relationship she enjoyed with God. But also she would share God's holy character. In other words, have a moral likeness to God. God said to Israel, be holy, for I am holy. A command that was repeated in 1 Peter, which we, we looked at last week. A command that he expects his people to obey today. So if Israel was described then as a, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, how do we claim these promises for ourselves as Christians today? Well, if we turn to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we see the same language used there. This is what we read there. But you, speaking now to the Christians, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What is it that has made it possible for us to become God's people? Again, it's God's mercy. Carries on once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just as there was nothing about the people of Israel that made them deserve to be God's holy nation, there's nothing about us that makes us deserve to be special. God has shown us mercy, and we have received it. And that is how we become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
But if we go back to Exodus, there's a slight uh, challenge here, though, isn't there, as well? Because it's easier to latch onto the promises, but not notice that they are preceded by a condition. Because it says there, if you obey me and obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And so we come on to the final point of what God requires of his people to be a light to the world through their holiness. And what we need to make clear here is that uh, there was no condition attached to God rescuing Israel in the first place. He did that out of his love. He did that out of his mercy. But there is a condition to them continuing in that love and receiving the blessings of the covenant. This is not a condition in order to be saved. This is what is expected of a people who have already been redeemed. Once saved, they're expected to act in a manner worthy of that calling. God is saying, you've got a a special status. Are you going to live up to it? I'm going to love and cherish you. Are you going to love and cherish me? That's why the relationship between Jesus and the church is described as a marriage relationship. The church is described as the bride of Christ in the Bible. There is a giving and a receiving, a pledging to one another. Imagine a a wedding service where the husband is asked um, the usual question. Will you take this woman to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honour her and protect her? And forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. Yes, I will, he says. Same question is asked to the wife and she replies, well, most of the time, um, as long as I can still do what I want, say. What is taking place on Mount Sinai is a marriage service. God commits himself to his, to his people and they declare that they will remain faithful to him. So it says in verse 8, have a look there, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. We want to be his people. We want him to be our God. Well, sadly, in subsequent generations, Israel was not able to keep her covenant promises and ended up worshipping other gods. God raised up leaders and sent prophets to warn them of the consequences, but they persisted in their rejection of him, in their lack of faithfulness. And so God promised to send his son to reconcile his people to himself, but also to bring salvation to the rest of the world. When Jesus, when when he was born and his parents brought him as a baby to the temple, Simeon, who'd been waiting all his life for the Messiah to, to come, as God had promised, took the baby in his arms. These are the words he said. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is the true Israel, the true son in whom the promise to Abraham is fulfilled because through his death and resurrection, all nations will be blessed. Which leads on to the role of the church because as the people of God, the church is united with Christ 
And so we are now the means through whom God blesses the world. And Paul and Barnabas are preached in, in Antioch where we read about that in Acts 13. They claimed that promise God had made in Isaiah for themselves. They said, this is what the Lord has commanded us and pr- proceeded to quote Isaiah, four, Isaiah 49. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that should help us to understand this, this idea of a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does a priest do? He intercedes between God and man. What was the, the nation of Israel called to do? Intercede between God and the rest of the nations. What are we called to do as Christians today? Intercede between God and the nations. Yes, we are a holy people. We are set apart, different from those who don't know Christ. We enjoy a special relationship with God. But why have we been set apart? So we can be a holy huddle and and look down on others less privileged? No. Let's go back to, to 1 Peter 3 to finish. Because here it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we do that? Well, look on to to verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Live holy lives, in other words, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As God's chosen people, his treasured possession, we can approach him with confidence. But we are chosen not just to do that, we are chosen so that through our distinctiveness, through our holiness, others would look at us and praise God for his power and his mercy. That doesn't mean when people come into our church building, not that they can at the moment. Um, It means when people meet us in the course of our daily lives, wherever that may be at the school gate, in the the streets, in Waitrose, in the office, in the hospital, wherever it is, we pray that they will see that we are displaying the love of God in the way we live our lives. It means that as strangers in this world, we will display a different response towards disappointment, towards lockdown, towards death. Because we are God's special possession and nothing can change that. We are treasured by him. We are the means through which God wants to bless the world, which is a a huge responsibility. But we do it in God's strength and we do it because we long that many others would know what it means to be loved and to be treasured by the God of the universe. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are a holy God. And we are humbled to think that you have chosen us as your treasured possession. That you've done that out of your mercy, that it was nothing in us that deserved to to be chosen, to be treasured in the way you have done. 
We thank you for the blessings that you've lavished on us, for the salvation that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that wonderful love that you have for us. And Lord, we acknowledge that you have chosen us to be a blessing to the world, to fulfill that covenant that you made to Abraham a long time ago. You've called us to to shine that light into the darkness through the holy way in which we live our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that your strength would be in us, your Holy Spirit would fill us, that we would live holy lives that glorify you and cause others to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let's close our time together in prayer. Um, Let me read from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Father God, we thank you that you have made us now a treasured possession, your special possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we might be able to declare the praises of your marvellous work in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you've shown mercy to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we can be able to declare the praises of your glorious name to those around us. We thank you. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to be able to live holy lives for your pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.